2: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And Ron, on today's show, we are interviewing a friend of ours, Joe Woodard. Pretty excited to be on. How are you doing, Ron? I'm very good, Ed. How are you? I'm doing good. Well, I know that you and and I and Joe have uh, met before. we've we've talked a, a bunch about a lot of different topics and sometimes in bars, I have to admit. That's if that's okay. <laughs> um, and the, the conversations have gone gone really well, and we thought it would be great to have Joe on as a guest. So let me just do a quick introduction of Joe before we bring him on. Joe, uh, as an author, consultant, and national speaker, he has educated over 75,000 accounting professionals in the areas of practice development, changing technology trends, and how to maximize their accounting practices. 75,000, Ron, is a little bit l- larger than the reach of our show, so we're, we're, we're grateful to have Joe on uh, Uh, He regularly publishes articles for the Insightful Accountant and has been featured regularly in Accounting Today and Accounting Web, both in articles and video interviews that they've done. He is the CEO of numerous companies that produce programs and services that under the trademark of Woodard, including Woodard Events, uh, Woodard Consulting Group, and the National Advisor Network, LLC. In 2012, 14 and 15. Not sure what happened in 2013. We can ask him about that. Joe was recognized by accounting technology as one of the top 100 influencers in the accounting profession. And in 2008, he was recognized by CPA practice advisor as one of the top 40 up and coming thought leaders under the age of 40, which Ron means he's younger than both you and I. It's a little depressing. (laughs) (laughs) But that said, uh, welcome to the soul of enterprise, Joe Woodard.
3: Well, it's great to be here.
2: And we're just thrilled to have you on. I want to jump right in. And one of the things that you put always front and center in anything that you do or I've seen you do is your vision statement at Woodard, which is to transform small business through small business advisors. Why do you do that, Joe? Kind of unpack that for us a little bit and talk about why that's important to you.
3: Yeah, it's so much more than just a vision statement on our website, Ed. It's it's something that was born out of both my personal and corporate soul, kind of appropriate given the the title of your podcast series. But um, I went down to a branding conference with Disney that I thought was, you know, because my limited understanding of branding at the time was going to be how to conceptualize a logo or how to name your company. And there were certainly uh, opportunities to do that, but the... Main goal of the four days, days was to fashion out, you know, the why of business. And, you know, Cynic talks a lot about the why trumping the what, the how, the when, and the where. Um, and Disney, obviously, is their masters at why. So they helped me to shape out my why by surprisingly putting my company on the side for a minute and talking about who I am as an individual and I um, actually went all the way back to the pain that my family felt whenever my father was running a construction company. I was a child. He went through all the pains of trying to dispatch employees throughout the city of Savannah um, on all of these different job sites using nothing more than a rotary dial phone hardwired to the wall, if you remember the days. I think it was colored ugly puke green. Um, <laughs> and there was no vcr there was no dvr so i did i mean i would just sit and try to watch a show with my dad like the bionic man or something and just hope the phone wouldn't ring because if it rang it meant that my dad had to forever miss that part of that show until the reruns in the summer and i couldn't experience it with him and um and so you know born out of sort of that pain comes a solution uh, but the pain that extends now into my adult life, I'm looking at businesses all over the country, and yeah, they don't have rotary phones that are puke green, they have cell phones, but they're operating their businesses not totally different from what was happening in the 70s. They have all the power of all the automation technology, all the field service, all the GPS tracking, in the case of a construction company, and they simply don't deploy. So... That grief extended into and translated into sort of small businesses universally, and Disney helped me to discover that that pain could be a powerful weapon uh, for good, a tool for good. So I'm thinking now I could do two things. I could stay Woodard Consulting, and I could help this mom-and-pop and and that mom-and-pop and and this mom-and-pop one at a time, or even build up a bigger consulting firm and maybe help 10 at a time. Or I can empower accountants, tens of thousands of accountants across the planet um, to transform millions of small businesses and actually put a dent into this problem. And then by extension, Ed, if, if we could help the business, it's not just about helping an organization to be more profitable or more sellable. Those are components of it. It comes back to that original heart that Disney helped me to rediscover of that business owner's pain that business owners' families' pain, their children's pain, their employees' families' pain, and the fact that if one advisor who trusts us to coach them can can transform that business, they've just affected I, I, how many lives? It all depends on the business. Four? 400? Mm-hmm. Um, it's sure. a powerful, powerful multiplier for good. So I know it's become kind of trite, you know, I want to change the world with my idea or my innovation or whatever. People say that all the time. Some mean it, some just think they're supposed to say it, but maybe it's just, maybe it sounds a little megalomania, maybe a little bit like megalomania, but given the fact that we want to do it through an army of accountants, we want to change the world here at Woodard. So two, two
2: questions that that brings up is, first of all, why small business as opposed to medium or even large business? Is is there a specific reason for that in your mind?
3: Um, well, the small business problem is more systemic and it's uh, deeper, uh, meaning that they can't, they literally cannot get themselves out of the hole by themselves. A business that is well-resourced, it's just about allocating spend and reprioritizing internally. And there are people that do a great job getting to those levels of executives and coaching them with the support of their IT department into better decisions but those people need to be advised the people that we want to help it's almost like they need to be rescued
2: and then the second question is it, wh- why accountants what's, what's what do you think is so special about them that, that you know why can't it be you know the the lawyers of the world or or other other people who are in, in practice servicing small businesses why accountants
3: it can be any advisor. So if you look at our vision statement is to transform small business through small business advisors. Um, And we are going to widen the net. But we're starting with accountants for two reasons. One, that's where my core constituency, if you will, that's where they reside. I mean, I've trained so many tens of thousands of them there. I'm known by them. Um, But also of, of the categories of small business consultants, helping small business, the Accountant technologist is the one most receptive to hearing our message because technology is the fastest path to business transformation. So it's not just the accounting community as a whole, all are welcome, but it is the technology-focused accounting firm that we're going after first uh, to partner with on this vision. Um, Once we have reached a critical mass with accountants, the very next group – we want to reach our attorneys. Um, and as with any industry demographic, there is going to be some percentage, some 10%, 15 or maybe even 5% that will catch this vision alongside us. But in industries this big, we don't need more than about 5% of each industry to make a real difference.
2: And this is interesting because I I, I know you and I have had a conversation about this previously on a a podcast that we did for for SAGE, but one of the things that I've heard you talk a lot about, and it's interesting because it's something that Ron and I and the folks at at Verisage have been talking about for more than a decade, is this whole difference between efficiency and effectiveness and without biasing you with 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 our take on it uh, i'd sure like to get what is what is your assessment of that debate that efficiency versus effectiveness con- conversation
3: well to to the um biasing me on it i would say too late um, my
1: <laughs>
2: my
3: entire position on efficiency versus effectiveness came from ron baker's writings um so so done that work is done uh, but what I would say in my application of it for the small uh, business, the, even all the way down to the to the micro business, um, you know, it, it, it the the way we achieve it is much more operational than it is analytical. And maybe that maybe maybe you guys would say that's the case with all businesses. But um, mom and pop have, they have less of an ROI on business intelligence. They have extreme levels of on-the-ground visibility. They're just baked into the fact that, you know, they're, they're living in an e-myth world and, um, where they need to deploy the principles of the e And so visibility and intelligence is, is not as much of an issue as ground game. Where do I turn next? Like a GPS navigator. Um, and, and, and if I can get small, if I can get accountants to stop thinking about um, effectiveness through financial measures um, and see that instead as just one means to the end and start training them in how to achieve small business success, something that they've not been taught, something historically most of them have not experienced, um, then we can make the effective difference.
2: And it's interesting that you say that. So you really think that it's, it partially is because they haven't experienced it themselves.
3: That's exactly right. I mean, they're living in the same world that, that I want them to help get small business out of. So, first, I have to start with them. And I start by teaching them um, the seven habits of highly effective people and how to win friends and influence people because many of them have never read those books ever in their entire life. Um, and they're not millennials. So, you know, we're talking about really a blank canvas here. And then I work very quickly into the principles of the EMIF and Darren Root's Intentional Accountant is a really big book for us, and I help them to be successful as business owners of their firm first, and then they can go out and preach what they practice.
2: Got it. Okay. Well, this is fascinating. We're already up against our first break, and what we plan on talking to you, Joe, further about is is uh, some of your work that you're doing on the rise of the machines and some webcasts that you've been doing around that topic, as well as Ron. I know wants to talk to you about Daniel Susskind's book, but before we get to that, I want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or myself at asktsoe at verisage That's the email address that, if you email, will go both to Ron and myself to get back to you on that, or You can, of course, view our website at thesoulofenterprise.com, where we have show notes when we'll put the show notes up that we have in our conversation with Joe Woodard, as well as all of our previous 118 episodes are up there on archive. So if you want to listen to them or read about them, please visit thesoulofenterprise.com. But right now, we're going to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results.
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
4: All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Joe Woodard. And Joe, uh, listening to you talk to Ed... I wanted to bring this back, I'll pull this back to an 80,000 foot level, we'll talk about some macro issues. You know, I know we have a bipolar profession, I mean if you study the top 200 firms or work with them they kind of live, operate in a different world than the smaller firms and and I take it that most of your work is done with the smaller accounting slash bookkeeping firms, is that a fair characterization?
3: That is correct, we do have members of our community that are larger but they are the vast minority. Um, I work with mostly sole practitioner up to about 10 professionals.
4: Right. Gotcha. And and, and that's the bulk of the profession. So when you start talking about the, the future of the profession for the big four, or even top 10, you know, it's, it's radically different than even I'd say the top 200. But that being said, what are some of the major, challenges and opportunities you see facing the segment of the profession that you work with, the smaller firms.
3: What's so interesting you should put it in the uh, sort of, you got half the SWOT there, right? So um, I, was, I was asked recently to um, write out a SWOT analysis on the entire accounting profession. And I placed into each category the same word, strength, automation, weakness, automation, opportunity, Automation, threat, automation. So, uh, not not to be too simplistic in the answer, but I mean, if you're if you're just going to boil this down to the one thing, accountants should be focusing on the most, is the fact that the computers have gone from being a facilitator of us doing accounting to the performer of accounting services. Now, we're not yet to our Suskin book. We'll table that with our artificial intelligence in a minute. But even without uh, true form artificial intelligence in place, just sort of rogue programming rules and behaviors that you can automate into systems and that the developers can push into systems, um, we've seen firms getting up to 80% of the bookkeeping process automated on behalf of their clients consistently. Now, if we start breaking down the SWOT, obviously the strength and the opportunity there is, is powerful, but why would that be a weakness and a threat? Well, it's a weakness and a threat because currently it's in our hands, but the but any small business owner that wants to go out and learn how to do this on their own, they, by attending a conference like mine and walking the same show floor that accountants walk, they could figure this out and they could deploy it on their own. I don't think they should. I'm of the personal opinion that no business under five million in sales needs to be doing their own books, no more than they need to be doing their own legal work. But even if they hire a qualified professional, you don't hire a paralegal and fire your lawyer, right? So they just—they don't need to be doing their home books, in my opinion, but many will. And as it becomes more, um, not just accessible, but more comprehensible, and as developers begin to understand packaging and the simplicity of deployment in their deliverables, people will start trying to cut the accountant out, potentially. And that's why I consider it a weakness and a threat. Now, in the short term, the accountants need to be embracing automation because in the short term, businesses aren't on their own on the whole. And for us, it's an extreme uptick in efficiency and profitability. But like we just said on the last topic, that's only an incremental goal. Um, Automation, the biggest opportunity behind automation is finally – For the first time, perhaps in the entire history of bookkeeping, going all the way back to the days where we were recording uh, financial transactions on Papyrus in Drachma, okay? So you go back that far, and for the first time in human history, we have a mass of both real-time and accurate financial information. That's the holy grail. So if we will use the automation to create an economically viable outsourced bookkeeping industry that we can sustain, then we will have um, reliable, consistent, and sustained financial information and then we can use that as one of the many tools toward effectiveness. it's It's an unprecedented opportunity in small business in the small business universe.
4: right you know I, I think I heard you on a podcast say they were talking about a firm. And it basically gave away the compliance work for free, roughly, and and then charged for the advisory work. And you said something like you saw that as a model of the future. And I mean, I just have to say, I've been hearing about the death of compliance work since I entered this profession. And it hasn't happened yet, because I think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance about this. On one hand, we talk about the complexity of our tax code, especially in the U.S., and the regulations. And then on the other, we talk about all this compliance work going away, and it just seems to be incongruous to me. You can't, it it can't, it's one or the other. It can't be both of these things. Do you really see compliance work going away completely?
3: I I do see it going away completely, but not in the next five to 10. I see it, uh, I see that being a displacement in the 10 to 20 year range. And uh, it's a great thing for the listeners to stick around and hear about the Suskin book, because that's, the missing variable uh, and the in the reason that up to this point um, it hasn't happened but now a new disruptive technology is on the scene and Ron I know you've been following it very closely and I think for the first time it's really positioned now to uh, to go away but um, and that's that's one of the reasons but just one why I'm telling accountants to buy to give away the bookkeeping as long as as their client buys business coaching, um, and it's all semantics, right They're still monetizing the bookkeeping obviously, but it's about it's about the way that we price and the way we position the product to the market um, and and it's because already bookkeeping is commoditized um, the automation once the automation becomes universal once it becomes ubiquitous, then you're going to have the market completely evaporate or go down to a model that can't possibly be sustained. And then it's also being threatened by very low-priced hourly wage outsourced through globalization. And virtualization has made globalization uh, a very you know real threat, if you will, to the U.S. price point. So in this race to the bottom, I'm just telling them, race ahead of everybody else. It's already going there. Get ahead of it. But more importantly than a pricing strategy or a packaging strategy is back to effectiveness versus efficiency. Right, right now, the accounting profession is perceived as overhead, because they are. And as long as the, as, as the accounting profession remains in that category, um, it, it cannot price to its value, mainly because it's not providing value that's worth pricing at value, and it can't um, transform small business which means the entire industry is incongruent with the vision of Woodard. Um, which, and, and, and bigger than vision of Woodard, I think they're incongruent with their mandate. Um, and the mandate that small business places on them that they've just pretty much brushed off. So get the whole conversation off the table. And, and throw in tax too. As long as you engage with me for business coaching services, which they should value price, and if they don't know how to, they should read some of your books. But just, and, and then throw in tax, throw in bookkeeping. If they need an annual compilation, just throw that in too. It costs nothing. And then whenever somebody knocks on their door, whether it's a big you know, national franchise or just some undercutting bookkeeping firm that's trying to undercut on price, knocks on their door with a jar of candy in their hands, say, well, can you beat zero? Because my account charges me zero for bookkeeping. And by the way, since I've engaged them my wealth has increased by 40%. So, I think I'm happy where I'm at. Right.
4: Yeah, no, I, it, it's an interesting point. And, and I guess my question is, outside of the firms that, that you work with, because I know those are self-selected people and you know they come to you because they're probably ahead of the curve anyway, but when you look out at the vast majority of either profession, accounting or bookkeeping, around the world, do you really think it's possible for them to make the transition from Compliance to advisory, or from compliance to reliance services, if you will. Because when you look at it, Joe, and you look at the the sources of where their revenue comes from, mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of it is compliance work. No sure matter what they say,
3: there sure it is. And and to answer your question, no, I don't think the vast majority of the profession can make the transition. But I do believe that the compliance work is going to go away in the next, say, 10 to 20 years. So with that combination, the only outcome is, um, is probably a, a healthy one, uh, a pendulum swing, where the industry is going to get much, much smaller, and uh, it'll be much more focused on, on business coaching. It, I think eventually it will become synonymous with business coaching. And, and I don't have any hard numbers for this. This is all gut. But I think, I think the accounting profession will be about 20% the size it is today in about 20 years. And it's not just like we're going to talk about with Susskind's book on artificial intelligence. It's also um, Bitcoin and blockchain, um, which are a much bigger threat to compliance, in my opinion, than AI is. Um, so, but, you know, it's getting flanked from both sides. No, Ron, they're not able to make the adjustment. Fortunately, the vast majority of them never will have to. It just so happens that we've got an aging bubble on the way out as the technologies are going to begin displacing the job. It just may be the most painless disruption of any industry at a global level we've ever seen, at least in the U.S. I don't know how the baby boomer kind of generation works in other countries. But here in the U S the age out should correspond very nicely to the technological disruption.
4: Right. And I certainly agree about the blockchain. I mean, that is going to have major uh, implications for both bookkeeping and auditing. I think, I think it could kind of wipe out the auditing profession as well, sure. uh, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, it, it's interesting I mean what, what do you see out there with value pricing do you see a lot of firms moving to it because that is something that can be applied even to even to low value services quote unquote commodity service by the way I reject that thinking I mean my black swans charge a king's ransom for commodity and compliance work um, mm-hmm. using value pricing now that's because they're doing other things and other strategies but I, I've just always rejected the notion that, that you can't charge you can't value price compliance work, you, you can. I mean, I teach people how to do it all the time.
3: Yeah, you but can value price it. You're absolutely right. But then you're always vulnerable to price pressure unless you couple it with business coaching. And I think probably what your black swans are doing is they're so mixing the coaching effectiveness with the compliance and putting it, my guess is, all into a single package that they're effectively doing the same thing that I'm saying. Uh, and it just becomes semantics. They're effectively giving away the bookkeeping. I don't, you know, I, I think I think we're maybe saying the same thing, but but because my mine's a very small firm, very very tiny business model, um, it sells better, phrased the way I'm phrasing it.
4: Gotcha. But do you see? Uh, we've only got about a minute. But do you see value pricing diffusing more and more over the last few years?
3: Um, I've seen I've seen a lot of people interested in value pricing but in in the community of accountants that i serve they are still puzzled by it it's still the rubik's cube sitting on the desk unsolved and they have no idea how to solve the puzzle um and a lot of them are kind of in a mode of desperation at this point because they've been to all the classes they've read the books and they still can't figure it out I believe Ron, it's because they keep trying to provide objective measurements to something that's purely subjective.
4: Right. They don't and understand in, it. Yeah. And, the value is a feeling, not a number.
3: It's a feeling, not a number. But then once that once they're educated on that, the second struggle begins. They're objective minded people. It's the reason they chose the job they yes. chose. And they can't make the transition into the subjective. And I think maybe the only way they can price is if we see emerge in this space an outsourced revenue officer kind of model um, where, you know, instead of an outsourced CFO, you have an outsourced revenue, revenue officer and they price on behalf of their clients.
4: Right we have a low tolerance for ambiguity as a profession that's for sure well joe this has been great unfortunately we need to go pay some bills but folks you can contact ed or myself at ask T-S-O-E, at verisage.com and please check out our full show notes at the where we will post more information about joe and the word group and his conference scaling new heights which is uh, one of the flagship conferences in the industry highly uh, highly recommend it and now we want to take a break
1: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com.
3: 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com.
4: Voice America Business
1: Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Again, Joe has been recognized as for, by the Accounting Today as the top 100 influencers in the accounting profession in 2012, 14, and 15. Is that updated, Joe? Or are you also did you make the list in 16?
3: Made the six, made the 16
2: list as well? Awesome. All right. So now you're now you're three years in a row. So you now we we
3: both have a long way to catch Ron. I think Ron is at like year 15. So I think he got his the year before Accounting Today was first published.
2: Yeah, so. probably true. Probably true. <laughs> <laughs> and he may have been under 40 at the time. Anyway, <laughs> I, I want to ask you, we, we've been talking a little bit about value pricing, and I do want to talk about the Susskind book for sure, but what, just as, as part of a transition here, what is your opinion on timesheets? You know our opinion, but what's your opinion on timesheets?
3: Um, my opinion is... First, we don't do them here at Porterton, didn't even when we service clients. My opinion is they have extremely limited value. I'm not quite where Ron is on the fact and you know, I love Ron's quote, though, that the only time tracking time matters is in prison. Um, it's a great quote, but I still think in some instances, measuring cost based on time. Ron, you and I have had many a debate about this one. But in some instances, measuring cost based on time uh, has value. In most situations, it does not. Um, so not a, not a big fan. And I would say if you're going to go one way or the other, either track all your time or track none of your time, go with none of your time. Um, and that if you've got some very complex jobs that need complex job costing in order to, to significantly measure your company, not just look at the numbers and go. That's interesting, but highly actionable data. Then consider running times selectively on selective jobs.
2: No, mm. well, we, we would disagree. But I, I, I'll move on from there. I do want to ask you though. Why do you think consultants to the profession seem to continue to advocate for timesheets? Why? Why do most consultants say, "Oh, you got to get those timesheets done"?
3: Yeah, they because it's an objective measurement um, and. You know, we love to measure objectively, even when the results of that measurement are, you know, steer us in wrong directions. It, it's just, huh. it, it's like having a a, uh, a security blanket that's old and snotty and mildewed, but we just hug that thing. And um, so it's a, it's a security blanket. It makes us feel like we're in control of the, the costing of the firm. It makes mm-hmm. us feel like we, we're in control of the production of the people in our firm when, in truth, the best way to get people to produce is to stop getting them to trade hours for dollars and inspire them with vision and have a culture focused on effectiveness. They'll show right. up early, they'll leave late, and they'll be happy.
2: Yep, yep. The the illusion of control, or as I think, Ron repeats a, an off quoted thing from the from the wine industry out in in Napa Valley. Far easier to d- to count the bottles than describe the wine.
3: Mm, so. That's a good that's a good analogy. Really
2: Yeah. So we are all fans on this uh, show today of the work of Daniel and Richard Susskind, and I know you have actually done for us at Sage a uh, a, a, a webcast as well as some live events around the notion of the rise of the smart machines, which is based on some of Susskind's words. So if you could first tell us a little bit about the rise of the machines and how it's linked to Susskind, and then maybe we can dive into talking more about the Susskind book.
3: Yeah, well, the Suskin book is it sent me on the quest for understanding the full implications of of artificial intelligence. To a lesser degree, he, he, he talks about automation technologies on the accounting profession. It was just one of many professions that he dealt with in the book. Um, And so uh, an artificial intelligence is what intrigued me the most. So I began a um, extensive study of Watson, something he touches on and refers to in the book, but he does, it's not a book about Watson and there are plenty of books about artificial intelligence. There are tremendous resources, obviously published by IBM about Watson and, and there's some great Ted talks on artificial intelligence too. So, it, it's it's a full well to drink from once you know to go to that well, and it's not hard to see um, the capabilities currently of artificial intelligence, the work that accountants are doing, and how much artificial intelligence is currently able to displace. Um, so once once I began to connect those dots, I just got hungrier and hungrier. I obviously. If you take our vision to transform small business through small business advisors, you take the need that small business advisors have to get their heads out of compliance and and look up and look forward. Um, I see this as a bit of a um, corraler, if you will. It's going to make them lift their heads because they'll have no choice. It's either that or starve, and um, and therefore I see it as a as, as a disruptive friend. And and. Okay, so th- that's
2: the disruptive friend, but let's talk about the Suskin book a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. th- there's a, There's a bunch bunch of great stuff in there, a- including I think something along the lines of you know that the, the, the thing that that disrupts you doesn't look like you. the thing that kills you doesn't look like you. And <laughs> that's that's sort of what you're talking about here with this disruption, right it, it, th- some of the things that replace accountants and, and and bookkeepers, oddly enough do not look like accountants and bookkeepers.
3: They do not. They look like computers, and so right. <laughs> you know it's true. And and the and the funny thing is the reason we're so easily displaced. We don't even have to have it coupled with robotics, like manufacturing does, or like surgeons do. Um, you know, right now Susskind points out that nurses' assistants are being displaced in hospitals, tens of thousands of them, all across the the globe, by robotics empowered by artificial intelligence. We don't even need the robotics piece. Um, we're making us, you know, a little bit more vulnerable. We can just go straight to the, straight to the computer. So it's an. In, it, when you say it doesn't look like us, I would say it not only doesn't look like us, it's also invisible. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I, I started looking, and I think I'd, we talked about this on a previous uh, Freerider Friday show. But uh, started using um, a, a, an artificial digital assistant. Are you you're, you're familiar with the the technology of Amy, which is X AI? Have you heard of this? I have. Yeah, and so I've I've used it now for about two weeks, and I could not be more thrilled because it has completely eliminated the need for me to schedule my own meetings, especially with people who are outside Sage, right? Inside Sage, it's easy because I have access to their calendars. I can say, all right, the four of us are free Friday at noon, right? But when you don't have that and you can just say, okay, you know, Amy, take over on this. And, you know, in fact, I've talked about um, – during the break, we're talking about having lunch this Thursday. That that lunch was completely scheduled for me by by Amy. Have you used that at all? Is that
3: that I haven't used it. Cares? I haven't right. used it. I've only read some articles about it. But
2: it's it's fa- It's a fascinating uh, subject. And when you think about it, and I talked to somebody this morning curiously who I, I Amy set up the meeting, and this guy didn't even know. He's like, no. oh, they hired you an assistant. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's great. It's great. So when, so you're, to your point here, Ed, when now that computers mm-hmm. can actually process complex inputs and determine courses of action, um, once once they're capable of doing that, it goes beyond sort of an automation like a machine that I turn on and turn off, and my fingers on the switch and that i've programmed to behave in a very specific a set of of ways and and it it extends now into judgment mm-hmm. meaning that that right now artificial intelligence is capable of advising a small business owner on how much they should pay themselves in an s corp between salary and draw um, because it knows the IRS reasonability uh, salary rules, and it knows what the uh, current caseload is, and it's more up-to-date on that than the accountant would be without doing all the research, and it can make that judgment call, as well as or better than an accountant can. And when you get from that rogue programmed behaviors that are entirely repetitive and must be um, monitored for any variables and you get to, you know, emulated thought, it, it doesn't take much to start looking at the implications and, um, and you know, the the question I always get in the room when I present this, why are we currently being disrupted? Why isn't it already happening? And the answer is it just, that's not where artificial intelligence chose to deploy first. That's not where the developers of it chose to deploy first. Right now, yeah. Watson is working on... Um, cures for cancer. Yeah, not bookkeeping. Thank God for bookkeepers. Not bookkeeping for mom and pop, or even (laughs) bookkeeping for mid-sized companies. But it is displacing strategy consultants uh, for a global retailer on shelf placement, product placement, um, inventory cycles, supply chain. There are displacements happening, but they're going to start at the top of the economic model, and they're going to work their way um, to small business. And that's why I give it about a 10 to 20-year window.
2: So are you in alignment, I think, with uh, Ray Kurzweil who, who's, who says that the, the singularity is coming in, what, 2029, 20, is it?
3: 2029 20, 20, is where he believes artificial intelligence will reach parity with human intelligence. I have not been able to determine if he means that also is sentience. But it, or if it's just that they can fully mimic the deductive components of human thought. But either way, sentience just means they're self-aware. They're self-aware or not, they're going to. If Kurzweil's right, they're going to um, be able to do the thought process work, the thought work of of human beings. And and this is a. I'm going to draw from Firm of the Future here and talk about our best response to this. Okay. Uh, No, I've got a minute. So, in the the firm of the future, Ron and Paul draw a distinction between the service worker and the knowledge worker. And as long as we are living in the realm of service workers, then we will be displaced by machines. Because machines will eventually, anytime you're exchanging um, either movements of your body for money or you're exchanging repetitive thought process for money, you are a service worker. And that goes for the mechanic to the surgeon. The only difference between a mechanic and the surgeon is the complexity of the thing they're fixing, okay? Um, But a knowledge worker is someone who uh, coaches, someone who steers, someone who dispenses intellectual capital to the benefit of and for the increased wealth of the recipient. So to extend my analogy, a surgeon is still a service worker, but a nutritionist is a knowledge worker. Um, a physical a training coach is a knowledge worker. They 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 deliver their intellectual capital in a way that you can go off and use it for the rest of your life and better yourself. And accountants need to make that transition because in that role, I don't believe artificial intelligence – can ever play.
2: And that's actually something that, in a book called Humans Are Underrated that the author submits that we're, is, is, may, might not even be knowledge workers, but in fact, relationship workers, which is a term mm-hmm. that Ron and I have be, begun to, to to use as well. But we are up against our final break. And Joe, this has been a fascinating conversation. And, and Ron's going to take us the rest of the way after this break. But we want to remind you that you can view our website at thesoldofenterprise.com. We will, of course, put all show notes for our conversation with Joe worded up on that site, as well as you can listen to any of our previous 118 shows on that in our archive and we right now we want to hear from our sponsor and of course my employer sage
0: follow us on twitter at voice TRN. get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers. Your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit BelieveInYourNumbers.com today
4: The business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network
0: you are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask TSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
4: All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Joe Woodard. And Joe, this is going to be a short segment because the other ones ran over. But I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give to a young, aspiring CPA coming out of college, you know, about to launch his career, and how that might look different on a day-to-day basis than, say, his father, who is also a CPA?
3: Mm. Well, You know, we talked a lot about the technological disruptions and the way they're going to change the industry in five years with automation, within the next five years in automation, and with artificial intelligence displacing most of compliance in the 10- to 20-year range combined with blockchain. So I think something very exciting is going to happen, something that would, um, if you read your demographic studies, something that would excite the millennial generation. Accountants have... Um, not always served as compliance officers. If you reach below the technological revolution and you go into the 19th century, um, accountants once said they were called to their profession. A- and they were, and this is an important distinction in the Susskind book, the Suskins say that in the 19th century, in early 20th century, you paid an accountant so they could help you, not because they've helped you. And the only, the only profession left that can say it's compensated that way is the ministerial profession. And they're the only ones that still use the word that they're called into their profession. But at our roots, or at least our modern roots, we were called into the service of humanity, and we served them with our knowledge. But when knowledge became privatized, we then understood, we, we in a sense have a social monopoly on that knowledge, and we can capitalize it. And that, that minimized, in my opinion, the accounting profession to a vending machine, where people put in a dollar and they get a bag of knowledge. I'll give you a piece of my intellectual capital if you will give me a dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, whatever the price point is. Well, with artificial intelligence combined with the information age, knowledge is now democratized. The glass is taken off the front of the vending machine and nobody's gonna pay for knowledge. So it brings us not just back to our roots of the service of humanity, it forces us there, but it also means we transcend even the way we serve humanity. The millennial accountant going forward is going to serve humanity, not primarily through their knowledge, they're gonna leverage their knowledge, but they're gonna serve them human being to human being in relationship capital. They are going to, so how are they gonna spend their day? They're gonna spend their day sitting across a table at a Starbucks, comforting a business owner who's going through a rough time and after an empathetic response, coaching them to a result. They're going to save people's marriages. They're going to uh, consult with clients on strategic decisions about new product lines. They're going to infuse cultural change within an organization. And that's just the beginning of the equation. The accountant of tomorrow is an agent of small business and business transformation.
4: That's excellent. I couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I think the the way to think about this is what kind of tasks are we going to want insist indeed humans do regardless of how good ai or watson is and certainly that relationship uh is 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 a vital component well joe thank you so much this has been wonderful having you on uh time just flew by as we knew it would and uh, we're definitely going to have to have you back and continue some of these fascinating discussions so thank you for appearing on the soul of enterprise
3: yeah it's been great to be
2: here and Ed, what's on store for next week? Oh, well, next week, what Ron, we are going to talk strategic planning based on an email that we received from a listener. He wanted our thoughts on strategic planning and where we see it headed, what whether it's been helpful in the past, and we intend to to talk just about that.
4: Excellent. I'll see you in 167 hours.
2: This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.